This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for December 3rd, 2020. This episode is brought to you by ProStride, Daily Dose Equine, and the American Driving Society. Good morning, Horse World! I'm back, Wendy! Welcome back, Glenn. I missed you. It's been a couple months, hasn't it, since I did the show? Feels like it. Yeah. Boy, I'm glad to be back, and I'm glad I'm actually back, and I can eat now, and I have the energy to actually talk to you. I know. You can eat. <laughs> I can And eat. you can talk. I can talk. I can eat. I'm not on drugs. <laughs> uh, I, little I, thing. I, I could talk while I was on drugs, but I didn't make any sense, so... You know what? You could tell in your voice that you were in pain. I was. You know, it's nice to eat and not have to think about a half an hour from now, I'm going to be, you know, bent o- doubled over in pain. I know. That really discouraged you wanting to eat. <laughs> so. It's like it's like shock therapy to help you lose weight. <laughs> hey, we have a big show planned for today. Tell us what's coming up. Well, winter is here, and that means sleighs and sleigh bells. Dr. Susan or- Oros joins us to share her favorite chimes, and Kathleen Hake reviews the ways people kept warm while remaining fashionable. Plus, Dr. William King, director of R&D at ProStride, shares his insights on harnessing the power of regenerative medicine. And on the Chinese medicine segment, we have the yin and yang of spinal manipulation and acupuncture with Dr. Janine Weller. So listen in. Ah, you got a full show today. We better get to it. Let's go right to talking about your product feature, which is apparently jade jewelry for Christmas. No, it's no, not. It's not. See, this is how I know you never listen to me because this is actually a review from March. Because can you believe back in March? I don't remember right? March, to be honest with you. That okay, seems well, like 10 years ago. Well, back in March. <laughs> before we were we, all dying of COVID. Is that? Yeah, yeah. It, was before, it was like COVID was just peaking its little head. And we talked about Jade Screen 8, which is a formula that is um, actually a mix of a few formulas, but it was developed during uh, to treat SARS, which was, a, was is a, uh, also a coronavirus. So uh, in Chinese medicine, this formula tonifies your chi, meaning it boosts your energy and immune system, and it clears heat. So it's for... Uh, for febrile diseases, like diseases where you have a fever. So um, this herbal formula we use in animals uh, to help with things like, I've used it for Lyme disease treatment. You know, I've used it for issues where they have a viral infection. Um, and is this some an of the ongoing main... treatment or is this a, as needed? No, this is as needed. Okay. Like when you're sick, you can take it, but also um, like... I've recommended this formula for some of my geriatric patients uh, if they're going to go into the boarding kennel, like a dog going into the boarding kennel, because they're old and have a weak immune system, and they're going to go into a place where they have a high risk of getting an infection. Or like if um, if you have a horse with a compromised immune system, like my little Dante, look at poor little Dante with Lyme and EPM. If I, if he ever has to go traveling then this is a good um, herb to put him on to help prevent infection. So some of the main ingredients are huang chi, which is also called Mongolian milk vetch. It, it's, it's a plant that's actually a legume, like alfalfa. Uh, so that stimulates your immune system. And also uh, there's a baizu, which is related to the sunflower. And we know that sunflower has a lot of vitamin C and uh, vitamin E, and it can be antioxidant. And plus, I, I know Kyle really likes this uh, aspect. There's an herb called hua xiang, which is uh, patchouli. It's actually patchouli. And so maybe those hippies are onto something. Uh, but patchouli is related to the mint family. It's, it, it's a mint kind of herb. And we know that mint opens your bronchioles. So these uh, ingredients together help re, uh, boost your immune system. 
and help you with uh, respiratory disease. Hmm. And, and you and can find it at drwendying.com. Just go to drwendying.com and search for Jade Screen 8. Jade Screen 8. Okay, well, our next guest is Dr. Oros. She's an internationally known avian veterinarian and anatomist, and she's the owner of the Bird and Exotic Pet Wellness Center in Toledo, Ohio. But she's also a board member of the Carriage Association of America, and she and her hubby, Eric, are joining us today to share their collection of antique sleigh bells. Welcome, Dr. Oros. Welcome. I thank you so much for welcoming me. Um, this is really fun because I am a sleigh geek. We've heard you are like a sleigh <laughs> addict. I've even seen um, some interviews with you in your in your local magazine of you out sleighing with your horses. So yes, and, um, and today, today here in Toledo, Ohio, yeah. we are getting our first snowstorm. So I'm really excited. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now, um, how how did you get into slaying? Well, it started, you know, like many things when you're a child. And my father is an artist, or was an artist, I should say. And um, he would, he is from the era where um, the artists would go down to the store and do drawings. And those drawings would go into the newspaper. And they happened to have an Albany cutter there. And um, he said to them, well, what do you do with it after you're done with it at Christmas time? And they said, well, we're trying to find a place to store it. So lo and behold, he talked them into letting him take the sleigh home to store. So we would get we would pick up the sleigh on January the 1st when the store was closed. We'd go downtown in our pickup truck. We'd put the sleigh in the pickup truck, and then we'd go home. And then, you know, we had a month or two to sleigh with the pony. Oh, and, my gosh. And I still, that's the sleigh I still have. Really? Had, yes, but I've had it restored. And the interesting thing, I found some some photographs had been hidden away and I have all these pictures of people in the sleigh when I was a little girl and people or people that I didn't even talk to each other, <laughs> you know? So it's really yeah. fun. And, um, so what kind of pony did you have? Oh, I, I just a little Shetland pony cross. And now I use my Morgan mare. Um, so I, I, you know, when I was looking for a horse, I said, well, I have to have one that drives and I have to have one that fits in my sleigh. I mean, those oh, are yeah. <laughs> so I had to have the right size and she's, a, she's 14 one. So she fits perfectly. And oh, we just have a ball slaying. And th that's the thing about slaying. It's totally magical. You know, I, I, I had the, uh, I had the horseshoe route on. I'll never forget this on a Friday night. And he was, you know, he'd finished shoeing and it was snowing like crazy. And I said to him, let's go for a sleigh ride. <laughs> and he said, he looked at me and he said, it's dark. And I said, yeah, and it's snowing. I said, even better. Right. Oh my gosh. So the first thing is you've got to get the harness on and you Wendy know of all things you know it's it isn't like throwing a saddle on and off you right. go you got to get right. your harness on and then we have to put the sleigh bells on yeah. and I had the sleigh chimes attached to the saddle yeah. and um and uh then we get the sleigh on and then we yeah, I did it all in the barn because mm -hmm. it was snowing so much so then like all pe good good sleigh people you have to have your sleigh blankets and oh, you even have sleigh blankets? Oh my God, you've got to do sleigh blankets. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I have I have sleigh blankets I put down and then I have, oh, uh, that's another story. We have to talk about sleigh blankets in a second. Yeah. So then I get the sleigh blankets on and I get the sleigh warmer. Yeah. Put, put oh, that yeah. in, put his feet on there, right? Oh you know? my gosh. And we push, we help the horse get, get out the door and right. then into this beautiful dark with the snow and off we go. <laughs> and it's like, he's going along and he says, you know, I've done an awful lot with horses, but yeah. this is the most incredible thing I've ever done. Uh -huh. And, you know, for those of you who've been in a sleigh, it's magical. 
It's magical with it snowing and the horse is going along and you have, and can I do my sleigh bells now? Yes, yes we have yeah, to hear yeah. your sleigh bells. We have the sleigh bells going and that has the low tones and then you have the sleigh chimes. And then it's just an amazing moment because you're in this sleigh that's made with wood. And that wood has to move. It's like, you know, on a roller coaster in the old days, those were made with wood. And that thing just kind of bends and twists. And you feel that as you're driving along, you know, click, 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 you know, with your sleigh bells (laughs) and your sleigh chimes. And there's nothing like it. Nothing. It's fabulous. You know, I have actually never been in a sleigh, but the way you describe it, it sound it does sound magical. Oh and my gosh, you can day. come you need to come up. You I need, need to come, come visit. I've never been okay. in one either, and I lived in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, it's just now see, now that's an Albany cutter. And so the question for the audience would be on the Macy's parade last Thursday for Thanksgiving, what type of sleigh? Did Santa drive? <laughs> I miss the Macy's parade. Did you see it? Was it, an al- it was an Albany so. Cutter. It was oh, an Albany Cutter. Yeah. Well, so, so the two very popular sleighs for single horses are, you know, an Albany Cutter mm-hmm. uh, or Portland. And uh, I have an Albany Cutter. And um, very common in the late 1800s were racing sleighs, particularly in our area of the country. Um, I was talking to Roger Murray yesterday about it. And the the thing I didn't realize was that there was, until I had talked to Roger about this before, was that there was a mini ice age that lasted from the the 1550s up until the late 1890s, 1900. And, so there was always good snow conditions way down into the Carolinas until from from like Thanksgiving time until through the end of um, February, the beginning of March. And it was very customary for people to, you know, do a lot of slang to get from place to place to party. Um, he, he has an interesting story about parting. I, I have to tell you that one. But, okay. but you know, the one of the things that they would do is they would get out their racing sleighs. And he talked about how they would shut down downtown Cleveland, Ohio, to to race, uh, have all these sleigh races um, on the streets on the yeah the on the streets street? of, uh, streets of Cleveland. Oh, and wow. then and then the other interesting thing that we were talking about is that um, he found an article in the in the Tiffin newspaper where um, so so we can get into the idea of why do you have sleigh bells and sleigh chimes and you um, they made a ruling because of the 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 young people would get out and they would party all weekend with their you know, with their sleigh you know they go from one place to place and go to go sleep at some place. Tonight, someplace the other night, you know, and so they had their sleigh bells and sleigh chimes. So they weren't allowed to race and do things with their sleighs on. They couldn't have their bells and their chimes on Sunday because it would disturb the church goes. Well, the church was already doing bells. So, you know. Yeah, they they had their own bells, right? Yeah, they didn't. Right. Dr. O, the, the young people couldn't use their sleigh bells and sleigh chimes on Sunday. But what? Why did they have those anyways? What What are they used for? Well, there is a number of reasons why um, they use them, and and the first thing is y- you have to understand snow. So um, when we hear this, and we have this this cold, snowy environment, mm-hmm. it automatically muffles. And it muffles considerably when you have snow. Oh, that's so, true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And, well, see, that's because you're down in Florida, for God's sake. <laughs> and so, so, um, so what happens is that in a snowstorm, you're not going to be able to see people until they're right. you're right on top of them. 
So that's that's one problem is you need to know where that other horse is so that you don't cause an accident. Another Mm -hmm. one was just identification. So so um, you would know who's going down the road. And I have I have a I really actually bought pair uh, chimes so that together they were used for a pair as opposed to a single. Oh, you can tell the difference. Yeah. See? So so this was something for an identification. Another one was, think about back then, um, there were a lot of wild animals, things that could scare their horses. And, Mm -hmm. And so you wanted to keep things like deer, bear, things like that away from you as yeah. you're driving around. So you needed True. to kind of know where people were and, and who the other person was. And, and so those are all identifiers. And so you, you could tell who was coming down the road. It's mm-hmm. really kind of a cool concept, really. Yeah. But it's just with that muffling. So when I, in the fall, get my horses out to refresh their memory about sleigh bells and sleigh times, it has a different quality than when you're in the snow. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, I think the other reason is it's so fun. It makes it like so much more festive when you have the bell. Yeah. And it exactly. takes so much to get ready. Like you're saying, like if you're going to get ready and go slaying, it better be. It's just like the icing on the cake, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> I've I've had to when I had my my young gelding. The first time I took him out in the sleigh, I didn't have the sleigh bells and sleigh chimes because I just wanted him to get used to the sleigh by itself. Right. I, it just it was like just didn't have it, just didn't have yeah. it, you know. And and one of the things about sleigh chimes is you, they're going to attach on the saddle, um, on where you um, where your rain turrets are, but okay. never take both rain turrets off at the same time and then try to attach the slate chime in the hole only do one at a time because you'll lose all that relationship with the padding underneath and it's just a disaster so that's one little thing to point out if you if you're going to use them and then the bells do the bells go on the shafts or they go around the horse well it depends what kind of you can have shaft bells but Mm -hmm. mine go around the, the horse and um, I, in all the old pictures that you see, they were behind the saddle. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, though, um, you typically want to have a leather strap to, and to, that you attach them to the saddle because you don't want them to become a bucking strap, for God's right, sake. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. That would be bad. <laughs> yeah, that would be terrible. Bucking in a sleigh, I think, would be very difficult. Really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, doctor. So I have a question before you go on, Wendy. So do either of you know, like right now, we'll put Borium on shoes to get traction. Did they do that back then, too, in the snow? How'd you get traction? Well, you didn't really. You wanted some traction on on the part of the horse, but you didn't want. You wanted those runners to glide. So originally, um, when when they were kind of like for lack of a better word, roads, um, for you to go on, they would actually have, um, they would have rollers. So they, they take, um, their horses out, uh, maybe a pair of draft horses, and they'd have these really big, heavy rollers that would actually pack the snow, which is what we don't have that, but, but we have, uh, the gator and we pack the gator full of stuff and we we essentially try to roll the s- snow and pack it down first and then originally most horses were just unshod and i i prefer to have them unshod if they're shod you typically need to have some kind of a a, 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 a pad yeah, otherwise you get the ice so balls that, yeah yeah you get the ice balls and so so that helps you. And then sometimes they would do th- interesting things like they would have the sleigh. So it was off. The shafts were off center from from the horse was not lined up in the middle of the of the, of the sleigh, but off side. Um, they would do that, too, to get some to help them with traction for the horse, but but allow the runners to be on the, the part that's packed. 
So those are those oh, are a variety of ways that they did that. And and that leads you going to an important thing from a slang perspective, if you want to go out and do it, is the whole safety aspect of it. <clears throat> and so I tend to to check my trail way before I do it that day because the conditions will change mm -hmm. and that you have to be careful of those conditions. Um, <clears throat> you're looking for ice and you're looking for drifts and because you don't want to head into a drift because you could flip the sleigh and you certainly don't want to, you know, you want to be careful if you, you hit an ice pack um, for the horses so that mm -hmm. they can keep their footing. So I, I usually walk my trail right before I'm going to do it. That makes sense. Yeah, be yeah, yeah because you don't have any brakes. I mean, you're kind of just... You have breaching if you have yeah. breaching. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing, that the, the advantage I have in Ohio, well, the advantage I have in Ohio where it's flat mm -hmm. is that, you know, you have a pretty uniform surface. So you got to, you know, be careful with that horse going uphill or down, more downhill, right? So you got to be careful yeah. of that type of thing too. The only, I've, I've seen sleighs um, in the Alps that, that do have a break, um, but I haven't seen those in the United States very commonly. I, I, I don't think I've seen any in the United States with a break. Well, Dr. O, thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about sleighs and slaying. And uh, if anybody is interested in getting started, they can check out some of the information on the Carriage Association of America website. Right. And also, if they have any bird questions, you are <laughs> at the Bird and Exotic Pet Wellness Center in Toledo, Ohio. Right, right. We love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I really had a great time. Thank you. And be a member of CAA. Well, I'm so happy we have Dr. William King with us. He works at uh, Owl Manor. And he was one of the developers of ProStride. Um, and uh, so welcome to our show, Dr. King. It's great to have you on. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Well, we've talked a lot about ProStride over the last couple of months and um, different ways to use it and how veterinarians are using it in the field for different clients. But you are uh, the head of R&D there at Owl Manor, and um, you have some insight about how to best uh, harness the power of regenerative medicine to help our horses, right? That's correct. We've spent a, a long time developing our products at Al Manor. They have a more than 20-year history in human and animal health. And specifically with the ProStride product, the development of that product started all the way back in around 2007. When the goal was to uh, make a device that would process blood in less than 20 minutes to make it have lots of natural healing and anti-inflammatory uh, factors at the point of care. And uh, as part of that, we've done extensive research that's been published in peer-reviewed mainline orthopedic journals. And we really started at the beginning. We started with uh, showing that we can block inflammation with cells in a dish mm -hmm. and, uh, and as well as scaling up to cartilage, pieces of cartilage grown in the dish without the animal. Then we did explant studies with those cartilages, and then we did small animal studies and, and rats to show that we were having changing the course of osteoarthritis progression with ProStride. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we scaling up, we've done randomized controlled trials in horses and dogs showing that uh, the, the profound anti-inflammatory and uh, effect of ProStride, not just in, um, in in a dish, but also clinically as well. Yeah, that's a, a long process that I think sometimes people don't realize happens. You know, you have to start at the molecular level and work your way up to get to the animal level. And, and you hope along the way that er everything's a positive step. And it sounds like this is really just... Uh, come along and been a real game changer for our animals. Yeah, it's been uh, just a sort of a wild ride for me as a laboratory scientist beginning with to work on this technology in the laboratory and then to, um, to see years later and hear on, on podcasts like yours, all the inventive ways it's being used 
clinically by um, by veterinarians like Dr. Holland and Dr. McIntyre. It's mm-hmm. just been an um, uh, amazing experience as a scientist to have something that's gone from the lab to helping so many horses mm-hmm. around the world. And one of the things that um, that's sort of an interesting connection uh, from like a scientific standpoint is uh, that that sort of the the natural part of it, and that one of the things that as a scientist I don't maybe I wouldn't have thought as much about, but after talking with a lot of veterinarians and horse owners is they really appreciate that part where they really like that it's the natural anti-inflammatories and growth factors from the horse's own blood. So while I was working in the laboratory, maybe it wasn't the first thing in my mind, but the importance of that's really come through in years of developing it in the lab and now it being used by veterinarians all over the world. Yeah, I think sometimes people don't realize that um, in vet medicine, we really do strive to use natural products and try to avoid drugs because of our competition rules. And also, I think that um, attitude to use natural medicine has been uh, more of the forefront in our in our competition horses. And now it's like starting to really catch on with our pet owners too. That's that's great. It's just uh. It- takes a spectrum of people, including laboratory scientists to clinicians to provide horses and um, the best care they deserve, for sure. Mm -hmm. And from a a personal standpoint, before all of this, um, all of this uh, year started, I started the year going to um, Jumping Amsterdam. It was a a dressage and um, uh, and what's what I'm looking for? The show jumping. Dressage. Show mm-hmm. jumping, yes. Yeah. And it was um, just a, a, what a wonderful experience and a way to um, to see those amazing uh, equine athletes and equestrians together. And and through sort of the months of craziness here, to look back and think about that, um, <laughs> how special that was for me as, as a scientist to see, to yeah. see that. And, and so uh, in Owl Manor, you were talking about your uh, peer-reviewed research and your published papers. Now, um, you're in, involved with that, and maybe just explain a little bit for the uh, like non-scientific people like Glenn, why that's important that you have that uh, evidence-based information. Sure. Uh, a lot of times when there's a new technology, uh, especially I've noticed I've done both human and veterinary work, that a lot of times in veterinary medicine, things get rushed out with a lot of, a lot of supporting evidence. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's very important is that that scientists all over the world get a chance to look at the data and evaluate it critically to make sure that it stands up, that it's not just one person saying something, but rather it's backed by real science. Mm-hmm. And really, those journal articles are the way for scientists all over the world to determine, is this a real technology or does it need further, better development? And that's something that we've really prided ourselves on is having uh, uh, top-notch research. And, and ProStride has been studied. Um, uh, we've done studies at Ohio State University, the University of Pennsylvania. There's been work done at Auburn's Veterinary School. And so uh, it's seen um, uh, quite a bit of, of top-tier academic research as well, not just me in my laboratory. As an equine vet, you know, I'm used to working on big animals, but does someone actually have to give like joint injections to your laboratory rats? And how do you do that? <laughs> a very tiny needle, a very tiny needle. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's actually kind of a, a funny story behind uh, that with, um, there's one laboratory that's run by a very, very good osteoarthritis biologist. She does way more than that. Her name's Allison Bindiel at Boulder Biopath. And most companies when developing osteoarthritis approaches go to her Mm -hmm. uh, because she's the best in the world at it. And we went to go validate this model with the uh, ProStride APS with her where she does this um, meniscal tear model of osteoarthritis. And I told her that I wanted to do a single injection of ProStride APS because that was an important development thing for us to show that it could work with a single injection, not okay. a series of injections. And she kind of gave me a little chuckle, like, a, that's cute, because she's used to doing a series of injections of pharmaceuticals, 
or a drug in the animal's water every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, in that study, we showed a disease-modifying effect, effects after a single injection of ProStride APS. And she's just uh, very, very good at injecting very small joints. <laughs> Well, she must have a very steady hand. And that's great news, a single injection. You know, for both people and animals, that's such a common injury, you know. Uh, so that is, you're really changing medicine in, in, in the veterinary world and the human world. So thank you for all the work you've been doing. Well, Dr. King, where can people find out more about your research? If you go to our website, omveterinary.com, there's a clinical tab that has links to various papers on the scientific research about our product. So we have Kathleen back with us on our Carriages 101 segment, and she's from the Carriage Association of America. And, of course, slaying and, and snow and ice are our topics for this episode of The Driving Show. And uh, I hear we're talking about how to keep warm while we're out freezing our butts off in the sleigh. We are, because sleighing is a lot of fun if you're warm. Yes. And it's, (laughs) it's not so much fun if you were cold. And there really is a big difference when you start looking at sleigh accessories between, um, people that had money and how they kept warm. And then the people like, you know, we read about in the little house on the prairie that we're keeping warm with baked potatoes. And, um, I have to say in this particular, like I'm a very practical. That's a great idea. Yeah. I'm a very practical (laughs) person, but I, I, in this particular case, I like to go with the fancy carriage boots that kept my feet warm and the, the, uh, different, uh, foot warmers and that type of thing. I'm all for the luxury on this particular one. So long johns are not the only thing we need. No. And it it really, it's really quite interesting. When I was doing some research for this, I didn't realize how much of our carriage driving history as far as keeping warm come from the Dutch and the Germans, which makes sense when you think about it. But um, we're so used to being tied in with the English and the English uh, system of driving that um, you really forget about some of the other countries. But they were really big into foot stoves and um, warmers, which were very popular. And basically what it is, is uh, you can either use things like tin, soapstone, or pottery to put either hot coals or hot water in to warm up the stone, the tin or whatever. And it would let the heat escape in a controlled manner to conduct the heat. And it would keep you warm in the carriage, which is a great thing. Um, And that kind of evolved into the 18th and 19th century. Uh, but Were there carriages going up in flames, by the way, uh, during this well, time? <laughs> that's a good question. Go over a bump and all your coals go spreading everywhere, <laughs> and all of a sudden now the carriage is burning to shreds? Yes, that happened more than <laughs> once. Really? Um, yes, there, there was quite the problem with that, because uh, it, there's a fine line between have, being hot enough to keep you warm for a yeah. two-hour journey and catching things on fire. Um, (laughs) That's a fine line. So that's why, you know, having thing coals contained within tin or, or the um, pottery was a good thing. Uh, If you were poor, you use straw as an insulator. Oh, I but thought you meant you set the straw on fire. I said, well, that, that'll work. That'll... <laughs> well, that would happen too, which is why when we talk about sleigh robes, they're usually either horsehair or mohair or something like that, which doesn't, is not flame resistant, but it is flame retardant, which means it doesn't catch on fire very early, easily. And so that's why those type of things were used as sleigh robes because they wouldn't catch on fire quite as easily. Oh, that's um, interesting. Did you yeah. did you ever think about they used to put candles on their freaking Christmas trees? If that happened in America, <laughs> still half the cu- houses in this country would burn down. Right, and it, it actually was a huge fire hazard, and a lot of people were injured and killed because of that. Um, and it was a it was a huge luxury to have them on there and to make sure because you had to be able to um, make sure that they didn't burn down. But uh, yeah, it was it was a thing, and and we really. And I think in this day and era, um, day and age, 
really take fire kind of for granted. I mean, yes, we we talk about forest fires and things like that, but most of the things in our homes are flame retardant, yeah, if not flame true. resistant. But back in the day, it was a it was a huge problem to catch on fire, and and things did quite regularly, uh, unfortunately. But um, they actually used to make these what they would call buggy furnaces, and they were. Um, very intricate, some of them. It, it, you know, the more money you had, the more intricate yours were. But there was a wooden one that was dated from 1881. It has a design shift out. Um, it's you know, um, so it's very. I'm going to use the word elegant for. Um, and it sold for four hundred and eighty dollars back in uh, 2016. I had never seen one quite like it. But it is basically a little wooden pail with with the the cutouts on it. Um, like you would see on an old radiator grate or something like that, the fancy ones. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just a plain wooden bucket type thing, but it was really ornate from 1881. And uh, those things go a little bit less expensive than that. If you are interested in collecting, um, you can pick up a uh, pottery or soapstone foot warmer for much, much less. Um, and, and they are very collectible. But if you are looking for some more interesting things. The actual sticks of coal that they used to use of charcoal, um, you can find those sometimes. Those are still in the wrapper, and uh, you can find they came in sticks, and you would slide them into the bottom tray, and it would just give off a nice little bit of heat for you to get warm with, and keep your feet warm. Now your hands, on the other hand, were up there, and you probably had some type of a um, for glove, uh, a lot of time they were buffalo or something that was very hardy. Um, they're not particularly flexible, so you're going to hope and, uh, that your horse does not decide to run away or be be silly with you because you don't really have a lot of finger grip. But uh, they did keep you from freezing. On the horses don't get that, silly when it's cold out. Not at all. No, that never happens. You never tip <laughs> over in the snow. No. Uh, <laughs> Um, on the other side of that, the ladies, the ladies had had it good because for whatever reason, when they talk about these um, warmers and everything, it's always about the women and around the women would be the children. And, and they would even take these things into like church with them and things so that they could all stay warm and they would kind of huddle together. But upper um, class ladies would have what they would call carriage boots. And carriage boots were worn to protect the ladies' feet in delicate satin slippers from the cold and snow. And, of course, you would wear them into a um, sleigh. They typically are trimmed with fur. The Frick um, Museum that is in Pittsburgh has an amazing set of these the the met has has quite a few but theirs are a little darker a little a little bit more practical mm-hmm. the set that the frick has are silk velvet plush uh, in white they are trimmed with rabbit fur and silk ribbons oh my gosh i need those i know i'm like we need to bring those back and they were right around the late 1800s that those were really popular now, those would be for, like, a woman who wouldn't be out at the barn hooking up her own carriage. That's, like, the carriage comes, and she walks out of the house under the portico and gets in, like, never sees the outside, right? Yes, and and when you look at these carriage boots that are in these museum collections, they're all in very nice uh, condition. And I would venture to guess that they probably were worn for maybe 30 minutes at a time. Uh, as far as actually being walked in or less, maybe even even five minutes, because all you did was step off the porch into the sleigh. Right. And then when you reached your destination, you got out of the sleigh and, and walked in and took them off. You know, but- Wendy <laughs> would have been Wendy would have loved being a, a lady of a, a manor. She would have loved that. She would have had all the clothes. She would have had people cooking for Wait, she has that now. Come to think about it. Well, you know what she might have also had? I don't know if if she does. She might have one now, but she might have had a mink-covered collar for her horse. Oh, I don't have one, but I've seen Charlie Poppy's mink-covered 
collar for the ponies, and I covet it. Yes. And I've actually seen two because Jack Day has one in his collection. Oh, he does? They di- he does. And they actually were, at one point in time, sold somewhat commercially. They're in the um, some of the catalogs back in the day. And you, once you start looking at them, you can kind of guess where they, how they may have been sold. Yeah. But it, it is amazing to me that people would have used them. And they're definitely a status thing and, and not any practical purpose. Because if your horse sweats, how do you get that off a mink collar? Yeah. Well, they're just for standing around. Yeah. Just for like, just for luck. Just for going That's down for the horse the that comes park. out of the barn and does no work either. Just like the lady. <laughs> yeah. He just comes out <laughs> yeah. and looks good and take, you know. Yes, yeah. he's he's taking the lady of the, of, of the house that. down in her for in her, her for collar, yeah, exactly down down to the uh, neighbors, you know, half mile down the road and and coming back, <laughs> I'm assuming. But and and you will also see sometimes on um, the high society sleigh horses what appear to be like raccoon tails or something hanging from or fox tails. Sorry, they're not raccoon; they're fox um, hanging from their bridles. And really? I wasn't sure what that was, but that is just purely for decoration. And, it's not to keep um, the flies off because it's winter time. No, so, not yeah. in the winter. No, no. Hmm. I, I thought perhaps it uh, did something with the snow or, or something, but it doesn't. It's purely for decoration. Well, they went fox yeah. hunting, and that was a status symbol. We got the foxes. And, yes. Yeah. Now, we talk about flies. You remember fly netting and, and how we use that in the summer to keep the flies off the horses. Mm-hmm. Um, we had similar netting. That would be um, run between the horse's hindquarters and the um, dash of the sleigh. And and do you have any guesses as to what that might? It, it doesn't have to anything to do with manure. I will tell you that now. It yeah, keeps that's the first, the, my first thought. It keeps this the mud and you know snow from coming up onto the driver. Yes, it keeps the snowballs down. Good hmm. one, Glenn. Yes. So, and they're usually white or, or some type of pale color. Um, and I've, I've only seen a few of them, uh, but they're very, they're almost, they're almost like a macrobe type thing as far as weight. So it would but go up over like to the top of the breaching so that the tail's underneath it, basically? Yes. Okay. Because um, so, otherwise if they poop, it would go down ways. on it, right? So, <laughs> but basically... Main thing is that it comes from the dash and, and keeps everything down from the dash. And in the same time, sometimes we were talking about the ornate um, cutouts earlier. Sometimes there is a metal piece that comes up and curves, and it, it gives it a very elegant look. And it may have a, a very elaborate pattern um, decorated into it. And that again was to keep the snowballs from coming up and, and possibly entering the carriage and getting the lady dirty or, or something like that or you know can't get her mink dirty i want the mink all wet that's true I know. nobody yes. likes smelly wet mink <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm on etsy you would not believe the amount of antique foot warmers on here yes. no way oh I, I just found 10 of them there here's an antique french foot warmer carriage warmer chic plate warmer antique heater portable heater steampunk home deco now i it says it's a charming french antique foot warmer dating from 1800s to early 1900s and it's uh 77 but you know this is a knockoff you just know this would anybody real. want those besides us there's though? like a hundred of them they on do. here <laughs> and so this is something that you know they would have had if you were a big fan, we, we were discussing earlier whether um, Downton Abbey, if they would have mm-hmm. had oh, some yeah. at that That's time. Yeah. And and the probability is they might have. They would have been going out of style then. Um, but particularly in the early ones, um, people that are into Victorian um, yeah. have them all. Some are very snazzy for, looking. You know? Yes. Yeah. And, and see, that's the thing. Here in the United States, particularly the collectible ones that you see on a, a more common basis, they're a little plainer. Um, they're very practical and yet in, there were very elaborate ones and we just don't talk about them as much in the carriage world. I think because we just assume that everything is, is just like a flat black carriage. It's all plain and you know, that's how it was. And it's not, there were some very beautiful, highly crafted, um, warmers out there and, uh, they do, they are highly collectible. Hmm. Um, Why would they go out of style? Because we 
Because we, we have heat in our to, cars? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. We, we, we oh, learned how to get a, I didn't, um, heat the house. I was thinking, well, I was thinking because of the, the Down Navi time, like, weren't they still doing carriages then? I didn't, I haven't watched oh, not that. At the end of the, or not at the end of the series. They were at the beginning. So You they haven't probably, seen Down Navi yet? No, oh, I can't do I shows have, with you anymore. We're, I, we're I done. have not either. I'll be honest. What? Dramas. No, oh. that's not my thing. Jill loves it, and so I asked Jill, and she wasn't sure, but... Um, yeah, no. Uh, you know, truthfully, and you're going to, I don't even own a TV. What? I know. That's how I <laughs> that's have That's why you're so smart. Things. Yeah, that's yeah, why that's she's why smart and we're not. <laughs> I do stream a few things online, but I, that's, uh, I don't own a TV. I haven't owned a TV in, I don't know, 10, 10 years. Jennifer would die without her TV every night. I would too. Yeah. yeah. How can I play Mario? All right, what, we're running out of time, so anything else to add to this uh, collection of things we must wear to not freeze to death in our carriage? Well, you know, nowadays we use modern hand warmers, and I will just remind you that they do need oxygen. So if you bundle up really heavy and then put them in your pockets or in your gloves and you don't allow oxygen in there, they, they don't get as warm as you would like them to be. And you can find the Carriage Association of America at caaonline.com. Thanks so much, and uh, thanks right. for being so smart. <laughs> well, thank you for thinking that I'm smart. <laughs> well, we have Abby with us, who's the executive director of the American Driving Society. And starting tomorrow is something that never has been done before. And that is a virtual annual, uh, annual Driving Society annual meeting. So that's kind of cool. Yes, we're really excited about our uh, virtual annual meeting. It starts tomorrow, and we have webinars scheduled all day uh, Friday. And all day Saturday, and then we have our uh, members meeting on Saturday afternoon, and then our board meeting on Sunday. And it's only $4,000 to register, so you can go do that today. <laughs> that supports the American Drive. No, the nice part is, if you're a member, this is free? It is. It is. Yes, it's, it's part of our member benefit package. What you have to do uh, as a member is navigate to americandrivingsociety.org and you log in under I am a member. And then the ADS annual meeting page is right there at the top of the menu. And you can click on it and see all the different webinars that we're offering. You can also click through there to register for the annual meeting. And you can click on our silent auction link to go and view our first ever virtual uh, silent auction that benefits the ADS. Now that no, might cost you four thousand dollars, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but you'll get something. Well, you know for the it, two. Right? Well, yeah, and the, you know we had all these amazing donations uh, from our supporters, and Bob and Diane Koopman actually donated a week at their Block Island, Rhode Island vacation home. Oh wow. my gosh, oh, that's that, a great. That will be four thousand dollars. <laughs> we hope, anyway. Well, we have some. Yeah, we hope so, right? We have just wonderful donations. So please go and visit uh, that website. Actually, direct to our silent auction is www.32auctions.com slash 2020ADS. Now, that's open to everybody. You don't have to be a member to buy buy stuff? That's right, Brian. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so now, you know, the, if you think about this, this year has been an opportunity for many people with all the virtual conferences and things going on. People that would normally have to spend, what, almost $1,000 to travel for hotels, for, for the meeting, and all of that stuff, you would have to spend that to go do this. This year, you can do it for free. That's true. You know, we're so disappointed not to see the Grand Oaks because they've been such wonderful supporters of the American Driving Society. However, you know, the silver lining to this is that it may be more accessible to more people. And we've already had about, I think we have almost 200 registrants so far, and we're leaving wow. registration open right up until the meeting starts, till the webinar starts. Uh, so I think it's going to be great. Well, I'm going and to- some of your fun topics are like, uh, it's not just about, uh, you know, a business meeting. You have some info about training your, your driving horse for dressage, some bidding, nutrition, all kinds of things, right? That's right. We have one-hour webinars scheduled every hour on the hour from 11 to 5 on Friday and from 10 to 2.30 on Saturday. Um, all, many of our technical chairs, uh, from our technical committees are putting on presentations 
Uh, one very interesting one that everyone should tune into is from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. East on Friday. Our World Book Chair, Lauren Reese, is going to be going over changes to the 2021 rule book. And as a sidebar, might I note that this is already in production and we will have a 2021 rule book out by January 1st. Oh, wow. That's right around the corner. Yeah. So good for you. We're very excited about that. And just one more thing I'd like to mention. On uh, Saturday, December 5th at 3 p.m., we have our annual members meeting. And in addition to holding our election that we hold every two years for the nominated directors, we're also going to be celebrating all of our 2020 award winners. So that's our youth champion, our president's award winner, our volunteer of the year. And we're also going to be uh, recognizing all of our Hours to Drive pin winners and our Hours to Drive regional challenge winner and our Dressage medal winners. Oh, that's exciting. See, it's a fun meeting. It's not just about, you know, it's not board members fighting. It's all fun and award. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of meeting you yeah, want to go to. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this is very and, cool. I'm, I'm glad you opened it up. where do they go again? Where do they go again to uh, register? Oh, thanks. Yes, they go to americandrivingsociety.org, log in under I am a member, and the ABS annual meeting page is the top menu item on the right-hand side. And if you're not a member, please consider joining. We have many, many membership benefits, and this is just one of them. Sounds good. americandrivingsociety.org. Well, it's time for the TCBM segment now, and we have my friend Janine Weller, who is a veterinarian in Ocala, and she does uh, acupuncture and Cairo, uh, and she also teaches with me at the Chi Institute. So welcome, Janine. Yay. Hey. How are you doing today? We're doing great. It's so great to have you on the show. <laughs> Good. Um, so now tell us a little bit about your practice up there in Ocala. Okay, my practice is primarily lameness or mostly I like to say performance and it's not always something that can be blocked out. It's usually a gait abnormality or a weakness or inability to move in a way that allows them to do their job, whether it's mm -hmm. the front end or the back end. So, so um, like you, you have a referral practice. So you like they've been worked up uh, fully by like a conventional treatment, but they still... They ain't doing right still, right? Yeah. Most of my clients um, have an attending, which does mm -hmm. a, mostly which does only Western. And yeah. then they have me that comes in to sort of bridge the gap or to figure out what they can't find mm -hmm. you know, or what they can't block. Um, uh, so, so I come in, if there's not a, a problem other than my horse just isn't doing his best or he's not, or, he's, you know, missing his leads or I'm having a hard time turning in one direction, that's yeah. when they call me out. So I'd yeah. like to say lack of performance as opposed to just an overt lameness. Right. Um, yeah. But I do work with a lot of other veterinarians and I consider them the, the attending because I don't attend to anything other than usually that. Mm -hmm. And, and um, in your practice, you use uh, TCVM like and acupuncture, mm -hmm. but you also use chiropractic right? Yes, I do. I do. Actually, I use them together. Um, I will initially go over all the acupuncture points and do a, what we call a read. So mm -hmm. I get their pattern. Um, but because I do a lot of spinal manipulation, and sometimes it's not always a lameness as, as opposed to a restriction, which makes them move like they're lame, mm -hmm. um, then, a lot, then I'll go back and adjust all the things that need to be adjusted. I tell my clients, I'm going to put the bones back and then we're going to reread them and see where their pattern is then because it does change their acupuncture pattern dramatically. Sometimes so you do the, all the bones back. Yeah. So but, you do the, you do the, the adjustment first and then you, do you do your scan again you, after that? I do my, I do my scan again and then I'll do acupuncture if they need it. The only time I do acupuncture first is if they are um, painful or refractory, mm -hmm. or I'm not sure, um, like if they've had a traumatic injury and there's mm -hmm. a potential um, bone fracture, then I'm not going to adjust those. I will do yeah. acupuncture to clear all my pain meridians, mm -hmm. to take down inflammation, and to make them 
uh, basically get their sheet and blood stagnation cleared. Um, yeah. And then as long as there's been no fracture and we can prove that with radiographs, then I'll adjust this if they can and still be. So sometimes I use the acupuncture first, but most often I'll use my spinal manipulation first. So, um, for example, um, you know, if they're restricted, so a, a big restriction that we see a lot in mostly our dressage horses and some of our uh, reining horses is going to be in the lower neck. Mm-hmm. And it makes them so they, that it basically when you, when C7, T1, T2 are out, then your sternum moves over, it shifts over, it affects the scapula so it can't move forward. So you end up losing part of your foot flight arc, which is going to change their ability to pick up a lead, make a turn, or make a bend. Mm-hmm. So, um, or, or it also dramatically affects any lateral work for my dressage riders. So it can affect any horse in any discipline, but that's what I see it a lot in. And I'll get called out for a front limb lameness. Um, uh, often, you know, I'll start at the foot, work yeah. my way up, and they're always going to have pain points. So any type of restriction in their neck, whether it's at the pole or the base, is going to always light up with significant pain points. Mm-hmm. So I will still adjust them first. Yeah. Um, and I do a lot of fascial release, um, trigger point release, adjusting them. Just something as small as having a sesamoid restrictor will change the actual foot flight arc on a horse when he's moving um, mm-hmm. dramatically. And it, and it looks like lameness, but getting back all the way up to the top, um, um, going back up to the top of the leg or the shoulder, um, when you have C6, C7, T1, and T2 out, they actually interfere with the motion of the, the shoulder, the scapula, and the sternum. So we end up getting a lot of pain. There's always going to be pain points when they're out, whether it's the base of the neck or the, or the pole. We get mm-hmm. a lot of pain points on our acupuncture read. So by going up there, by adjusting them, putting everything, I tell my clients, I'm going to put the bones back where they need to be, then reread them. So when we yeah. put the bones back where they need to be, and also the spine is dynamic. So if I have a lot out on one side, you need to check both sides because it has to go out somewhere else to make that spine be dynamic. So mm-hmm. oftentimes you'll see a problem with the occiput or the pole of the horse, which also they feel when they're riding you know, in the bit and turning. Yeah. And then when I get everything put back to where it needs to go, everything's moving. My sternum is back. My shoulder is no longer restricted. My uh, T1, T2 is no longer restricted. Then I'll go back with my acupuncture and I'll clear any residual pain. So if they've been walking like that for any length of time, they're going to have some asymmetry and in, in muscle. Um, it's not going to be, I guess it's sort of an atrophy, but the muscle doesn't get used the same. So you mm-hmm. get weaker parts. And that yeah. I can, that's what I use my acupuncture for. I clear the pain. I bring back um, the chi and I tonify my meridians to help bring back muscle strength. You know, so I, I feel like when, I, when we started adding uh, adjustments to my acupuncture and TCVM, I felt like my, like exactly what you're saying. Like I cleared a lot of pain with the Cairo first, with the adjustment first. And I felt like I got much better results on the very first appointment. Whereas when I just did acupuncture alone, it took a couple of appointments to get, you know, a couple of treatments to get to that same place. Oh, I I agree. I agree. And there are times where I'll go over, especially in, in one particular case, it was an endurance horse. And, and I was, called out because they specifically said we just need acupuncture on this horse and I looked at this horse went over his points and literally put his whole neck back and his neck was a mess mm-hmm. his, his vertebrae were a mess and when I rescanned him he didn't even have pain he yeah was just so restricted in his neck that nothing was working right so yeah. that's um that's a it, it is a big deal it makes a, a profound difference and what I like to tell my my clients you know, acupuncture points are not random. They're actually very specific. And they're at the, um, at that point, the convergence of millions of little tiny nerve endings, which allow mm-hmm. us to manipulate the entire body with a few points and a good combination of points. And when you have a restriction, for example, your neck or anywhere where your fascia is going to be bunched up and angry, the fascia has its own innervation. So now, you know, now you're left with the, is, is the uh, innervation interrupted or is it just loudly overspoken by another um, fascial pathway that's, that's hurting so mm-hmm. for me it makes it so much easier to read my horse 
if I can put all the bones back first and make sure I'm clearing any of that, um, I guess, white noise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great way for to put it. Better, for lack of a better term, I just feel like the fashion talks louder than some of my points. Yeah. Um, and, and also when you have trigger points and fascial restrictions and bony restrictions, all at the same time, you have a lot of information, and a lot of, of, of pain going through this area from different uh, sources. So mm-hmm. it, it does allow me to clear the pain in several different ways. But certainly, I feel like my acupuncture is far more specific when I, when I have relieved it from all the other stuff that's causing mm-hmm. a change in my pattern. So acupuncture, I treat a pattern. Now, why was he out? Why was he weak? That's where my acupuncture comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, is he deficient? Does he have a stagnation somewhere? But none of that's very easy to determine until I actually put all the bones back in. Yeah, it's kind of like... When my, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. So, go ahead. Especially it's in places of, like face yeah. of the neck. Yeah, base of the neck. I think sometimes people think, oh, their their neck's sore. But like you were saying about the sternum and the withers, you know, it's it's what think about you when you have a stiff neck, it doesn't just hurt your neck, it hurts the muscles in your shoulders and it hurts like your chest, you feel all tight. And I think uh there's not a lot of uh, modalities we have to treat that in horses and, and, uh, manipulation, spinal manipulation can be so helpful there. Yeah. Oh, I agree. It's been very, very beneficial. And yes, I, I still do the entire horse because, mm-hmm. you know, I would hate to clear one area and find out that I missed something else. So yes, I do adjust the entire horse, but you know, your biggest problem areas that are going to cause the most, uh, atypical motion is going to be base of neck or sternum, and also, you know, your pelvis. My pelvis yeah. can cause a lot of, of gait abnormalities that, that don't show up as an overt lameness. They're not blockable. And then when you, you say you do the whole horse, you mean you go down the legs and you do all the joints in their legs also? I do all of it. So yeah. if I see where the problem is, I will still start at the bottom, work my way up, clear mm-hmm. that problem, make sure the rest of his skeleton is all moving, and then mm-hmm. I will go back and reread um, all my points. I'll rescan and determine, you know, it, it just gives me a much more specific yeah. pattern for that horse that's, that's more reliable for me. I think so, they also but, really love their extremities adjusted. You know, I think there's all these little aches and pains that we might not pick up because they can't talk and say, oh, my, you know, my wrist is hurting. You know, like a person would, but they have these minor aches and pains that we might not pick up and adjusting them. I, sometimes you can even see it in their face, you know, like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I agree. I agree. And sometimes you can just, you can, so if you have a a sore neck, your head's always turned a certain way. Like you said, it affects all the muscles in your shoulder, et cetera. So when your head's turned a certain way, because you're trying to not, you know, be in pain, it's going to change how you use everything, how you walk, how you mm-hmm. grab for things, how you swing your arms. The same with them. And sometimes mm-hmm. you can just feel one, just the weight, the, the weight of one leg versus the other leg is so dramatically different. It tells you how tight your attachments are for just from compensating. Mm-hmm. So I think it's great. To, I, I do all the extremities every time. And do you, um, do you, like, do you have, give them physical therapy exercises or since you're a rider yourself, do you say, oh, well, you should work on this to help this ad- Ab- adjustments last longer? Absolutely. Absolutely. I do. I actually give them um, uh, stuff that they can do either at the show or at home. There's really good tween points that they can use, like a massager on. Um, mm-hmm. There's different ligaments that they can actually release just by doing massage on that. Um, there's different points that they can I make them feel for their trigger points, and I want them to release those. So, yeah, my my clients are extremely proactive on maintaining the the health of their horse. And um, where I, can I people find you? Do you have a Do you have a website? Sadly, I don't have one up right at this moment. It's being worked on. <laughs> so, most of the people who find me, if you find me, it's because you know somebody who I work on. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not the most well-publicized veterinarian. I stay extremely busy. And um, I did. I do have somebody in Atlanta who's working on a website for me because the other one was just 
I just didn't, I don't really, I, I'm not very technologically advanced. I'm extremely good at what I do, but the whole techno thing is for somebody else. <laughs> That's okay. So um, we can, we can, so my phone me. number and word of mouth, people find me through the cheat Institute because we teach up there. So I get a lot of people that, that will call up there to get my number. Um, yep. usually it's just my phone number. I do have people who want to know how they can reach me and I tell them text phone or email but if you email me you have to tell me because I get thousands a day and it's almost impossible <laughs> for me to go through them and it's not all like not all people <laughs> trying to call me I think um some of the phone companies just sell your email so that you just get thousands of emails I know junk. I so never answer to, like, my phone anymore <laughs> <laughs> well Janine you thank you so phone? much no I never answer my phone that's why I've been texting you <laughs> ah, okay well, text works for me. I just, um, I don't do the, the website won't be up probably till the end of the year. So All right. Well, well, thank you so much. Uh, that's been so fascinating. It's great to hear about how you use Cairo and acupuncture together. And uh, it's great. great to hear how you bring your writing. Uh, you know, I think that nobody agonizes more about their horses than, than, you know, uh, than our us riders, right? Like sometimes you're like thinking about stuff even before we we're vets. You'd be laying in bed thinking, "How can I fix this?" So I think that brings mm-hmm. a, a different perspective. Exactly. <laughs> well, I have to say, just one rider comment. I do yeah. have one rider that every time he had the most perfect horse ever, and all of a sudden the back kept getting sore in the same place, the spine yeah. kept getting restricted in the same place. And I finally looked at him. I said, "Do you have a problem with your back?" And he says, "Yes." his hip. I'm like, you're knocking your horse out every time you do that. So there is times where my riders, um, because of their own abnormalities will affect the horses. So, Mm -hmm. so yes, as a rider, it's important. Yeah. You know, I always laugh about that because I have like this alien left hand, you know, so all my horses (laughs) have have to deal with my alien left hand and I just can't, I I can't do anything about it. So they have to get used to it, but at least I can fix it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on them. <laughs> right. Right, so, right. Thank, thank you again for joining us and uh and you thank have to come back again soon. Thank you, Wendy. I look forward to it again. Have a great rest of your day. Well, you can find links to today's guests in the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com or on your podcast player. Scroll left or right or up or down, depending on the podcast player, and you'll see today's show notes with links. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Horses in the Morning, or Driving Radio Show, either one. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize we have all the shows on one feed. So we have so many shows. We put out a lot of episodes every month. But there's people who listen to more than one show, and it's easier for them to get it all in one feed. You can search for Horse Radio Network All Shows shows and it'll pop up in your podcast player you can find wendy at drwendying.com and if you miss any of the shows of course you can go back and listen uh to our on our website or on any of your podcast players we go back a lot of episodes this one's 2500 you have to go back to the website to get the early ones and we want to thank our sponsors we had a lot of terrific sponsors this month pro stride daily dose equine and the american driving society and drwendying.com well wendy Have a very, very happy and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, Glenn. I'm so happy you're feeling better and keep the shiny side up. (laughs) 